Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I am doing great. I'm cold. I know we just talked about the weather, but it's cold now. We really like plunged into fall really quickly, I feel like this week. So it's been cold, but it's good weather. It's good running weather, but yeah, winter, winter is coming. Yeah. It's actually though great sleeping weather. I love it when it's a little cooler at night. I just getting up early in the morning to run when suddenly the temperatures dropped into the thirties from weeks that we've had in the seventies. It's, it's pretty brutal, but we will adjust. But the good news is, is that it's fall and the weather is appropriately fall like weather. And that is super conducive for some great racing this fall. And today we are doing part two of our control, the controllables coaching episode. We did part one in episode 141, and that was about preparing for the marathon. And we know a lot of folks got back to us and said it was super helpful. And we hope similarly that this is helpful. We're focusing today on controlling the controllables on race day and all the things that one can do when running a fall goal marathon race and half marathon to really be able to um, set up your situation so you can run to the best of your ability on that day. We've got a lot of races coming up. Um, I know we've got Marine Corps Marathon and we'll be releasing an episode with the one of the race directors of Marine Corps Marathon um, this week as well as a bonus episode. We've got Richmond coming up. We've got Indy coming up, which is your race, Lisa. We've got, of course, New York City coming up and Philly and um, just so many races that we have our runners going out to do. And that's why we decided to talk about this today so we can help prepare everyone to run their best race. Yep. So today we're going to go through some of those things that you can control on race day. We can't control weather. Um, can't control race conditions or um, other things that we can't control, but uh, we like to focus on what we can control and um, planning planning for that. So whether your race is coming up this weekend or in a few weekends, these are things you can start thinking about. Um, one one tip that we had in our in our earlier episode, kind of our pre-race episode, control the controllables that we'll mention again now, um, because getting closer to race date is something that you can do, is review the race guide. There's often a, um, you know, a race day uh, guide on the website. There's a runner's guide, participant guide, whatever the race director might call it, even if it's just the website. There is usually a, a plethora of information on the race and on race logistics. And that's something that you really want to make sure that you nail down. You know, you know, race morning, where where do you have to be? When do you have to be there? How are you going to get there? Um, you know, are there rules that, um, you know, uh, some of our runners were taken by surprise a little bit last year, Chicago um, had mentioned in one line in the race guide that uh, uh, bottles being brought into Athletes Village may be subject to um, to, to search, or I forget what the wording was, but it was one line and um, the, the security was making runners dump their water bottles as they came into uh, into Athletes Village. So that's something you want to know ahead of time. You don't want any surprises on race day. So even before you get to race day, and we're going to get to race day um, itself in a second, but even before you get to race day, that's one thing you can control is your preparation and, and reading all of the information. It's helpful to go online and just Google um, your race and recap or reviews. And you can sometimes find people who've written whole race. New York City Marathon is a great example. There is so much out there. People have written books and and, and really just whole blogs and, and information, the nitty gritty on, on the logistics of New York City Marathon. Um, but that's true for almost any race. So I know when we're doing race prep for our, our runners, we kind of do that for them. And we, um, you know, uh, we like to call it kind of like concierge service where we put all that information together. But that's any, and that's what we do is we go out there and we collect all that information from the website, from reviews, from other um, experience that we've heard about or that has been written about. So that's something that you can be doing now to, um, to start preparing. Absolutely. And another thing before race day, and I know our last podcast episode on this episode 141, we touched on this a little bit, and that is make sure you got your gear together. So while it's a little hard to predict exactly what you're going to wear on race day, especially if the race is out of town, and certainly you can pack a lot of options. The one piece of gear that you have got to practice with before race day, of course, is your shoes. Even if you've run in these same shoes before, you got to break in your shoes a little bit. Um, this is common sense, but particularly if you've decided to go the route of getting yourself a pair of carbon plate shoes, and that's a whole other topic. 
please, please make sure you practice in those and practice in those running some fast paces. While you certainly don't want to put a lot of miles on those, you should, at this point, before you head out and race in those carbon plate shoes, you need to do at least a couple of speed workouts, test them out, as well as a hilly tempo run and make sure that those shoes are going to feel okay. And, you know, definitely a long run too, but a, a long, slow run is not going to have the same effect of making sure you can race on those shoes as uh, a run where you're doing some tempo work. So make sure it's a run or a tune-up race where you've tried these shoes to make sure they work. That's super, super important. And ladies also make sure uh, you've practiced in the bra you're wearing. We've, we have experienced, and we know so many of our women runners have experienced tremendous chafing on race day due to a bra. So just practice in that as well. And, and guys too, but particularly with, with bras, they're sort of unpredictable. And that's something we definitely advise with respect to gear. Otherwise, most people listening to this are seasoned runners when it comes to training and understand that you always want to dress as if the temperature is 20 degrees warmer, but Make sure with respect to gear that you pack or grab gear that keeps you warm at the start line. This is particularly relevant to fall races. We've had even just as recently in Chicago, we had a couple of runners um, in spite of their best efforts that mentioned that they got super cold in their corrals and they felt like that, that caused them a little bit um, of difficulty when they first started out running because they were so cold. And obviously when you're cold, your body's working that much harder to warm you up. Um, than if you stay warm in the corral. So make sure you bring enough items or if you need to purchase items that will allow you to stay warm and do not remove those items in the corral until the last possible second. Um, everyone knows that even though you're supposed to start at a certain time, sometimes you're sitting, standing in your corral rather five, 10 minutes longer than anticipated. And those five, 10 minutes can make a difference. So keep those warm clothes on until the very last second, take those off and then start your race. Yeah, and to your point of of you know purchasing things, that's something um, that you want to be doing now. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, warm up gear. So if you don't have something, going to Goodwill or going to Old Navy or somewhere, finding some some throwaway um, items. You talked about chafing. Um, get Body Glide. Go order it now. Make sure you've got it on hand. If you are somebody who uses um, you know a specific type of nutrition, particularly we found Morton gels, go order them now. They're not as easy to purchase, um, you know, at the expo or in the, you know, local running store as some of the other more uh, ubiquitous uh, nutrition. So make sure you have that. You don't want to be getting ready to leave for your race or getting ready, you know, race morning the night before going, oh shoot, I need to go get, you know, my honey stinger or my Morton. So start thinking through that, um, uh, you know, salt, salt stick. If you're going to be using salt stick shoes, go, go online and order them now. Make sure you're getting all of that, um, all that gear that we're kind of talking about now, uh, all making, making sure that you have it. And then it's been ordered because it may take a few days uh, to track it down and you may not be able to get it at the expo. Yeah. So since you touched on fueling, let's just dive into that now, because that seems to be in spite of uh, runners' best efforts, that often seems to be the place where runners really panic and, and doubt themselves. I remember it was probably about a year and a half ago and Molly Seidel posted this funny um, post on Instagram where she said that the night before her race, and here's a professional runner, she was actually calculating the number of carbs and calories that she wanted to take on race day, not because she didn't know or wasn't prepared, but because she just was nervous and was second guessing herself. So certainly we understand that feeling. It was comforting to know that even a professional runner has the same feelings we all do, which is, I know I practice with this, but gosh, am I doing this right? And you start doing the math. So we want to do the math for you. And while of course we're not registered dietitians, we are confident. And yes, there was an episode we did recently with Dr. Stacey Sims, who shared her thoughts on marathon nutrition for um, pre to postmenopausal women and how this differs than what we're about to share. We are sharing what we feel works for our runners. Certainly, if this doesn't work for you, consult with a registered dietitian. Um, but this is what has worked for us and so many of our runners. So we're sticking to this for now uh, based on the evidence that we have and the 14 years at 13 or 14 years of coaching. We've been doing at this point, Lisa, 13 years of coaching. I can't do math. Yeah. 13 years, yeah, 13 years, Crazy. 2009. So coming anniversary. on 14 years. 
Yeah. And we met like, right. I'm, I'm going on a tangent. We met almost exactly this time in 2009. Yeah. Crazy. Yep, that's exactly right. I think some of the memory pictures that, um, that come up on Facebook just came up recently from the race for me. So it made me think of you. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Okay. Another subject. All right. So back to nutrition, we really believe wholeheartedly that one needs to take a serving of fuel every 30 to 35 minutes. And if you haven't been practicing with this, certainly don't try it on race day, but if you have, and we're talking about race day now, make sure that you have practiced carrying all of this nutrition, that you've created a system for yourself that allows you to put in places on your body, your fuel. So as Lisa mentioned, we really like Morton. So think about where am I going to put all these Morton gels? Because, you know, you're, you're likely going to have at least five, six, seven, eight gels that you're going to be carrying. And you don't have to take the whole thing. If you haven't practiced, start with a half, but we, we would like you to try but certainly do the best you can. We don't want everyone to start stuffing themselves with fueling with our plan now if you haven't been practicing with it. But if you have been practicing with a system where you're taking fuel every 30 to 35 minutes, think about now, where am I putting this? That means if your race is out of town, pack some small Ziploc bags that allow you to place your fuel in those. Um, if you plan to wear shorts, make sure you have pockets. If you plan to wear tights, make sure they have pockets on the sides where you can put your fuel or a spy belt or a fanny pack, whatever works for you. Make sure you've practiced with that system. So on race day, you're not nervous or wondering if things are going to fall. Um, I'll share what I do to carry my fuel. I put a couple, I always wear a Lululemon bra that has pockets in it. I put a couple in my pockets and then I also put fuel in my fueling, um, I use like a little fanny pack that I, I keep tight enough. So it doesn't jostle. I put fuel in there. I also put my salt tabs that I use. I use Enduralites. I know you use salt stick, Lisa. I put those in a small Ziploc bag so they don't disintegrate from getting wet. And I put those also in my sports bra. So it's easy to grab. So that's how I carry my own fuel. Lisa, how do you carry your fuel? I, you know, I love my uh, Lululemon um, shorts and leggings that have the big pockets on the sides and I literally stuff everything in there. But I like your idea of the sports bra with those pockets because that would give me a little more, uh, a little more on top. Like I think, oh, wow, you get some, like, some, some Morton implants in my, maybe I need that. Maybe look better in my, in my running gear. I was like, hmm, as you're saying that, I'm like, oh, that would be good. Maybe then I have to take them out as I'm going. So I feel like losing it. Um, I, I like that idea. I will um, also add to what you're saying, which I, you know is really important because um, in training, we don't typically carry as much fuel as we're going to be carrying on race day and people forget about that. And a couple things to add to that. First is that if you're somebody who uses um, liquid, you know, a, a liquid nutrition, a scratch or, you know, tailwind, think about how are you going to refill along the way? You know, when you're on your training runs, you might stop and refill somewhere on the race course. What are you going to do? Are you going to bring powder and try to drop it in a water bottle and then fill it up with water? Is somebody going to hand you something? How are you going to do that? Um, and not only that, how are you going to access? And you should practice in your running, accessing your fuel while you are running, unless you plan to take a walk break to, to take fuel, which is totally fine. But people get tripped up and I've gotten tripped up before with trying to either rip a top open. Um, what I used to do with my shoes, my honey stinger shoes was put them in a Ziploc baggie. So it was easier to access them instead of trying to tear open a, a package. Um, it, it's not easy to do that on the run always. And not only that, lesson learned from Boston 2018 was if your hands are freezing cold, how are you going to access that, that nutrition? If you, for some reason, you know, it's a really cold day and you're losing finger feeling in your fingers, or if you've got gloves on, how are you going to do that? So those are things, again, controlling the controllables on race day, um, controlling how you're fueling, how you're carrying that fuel, how you're accessing that fuel. And then obviously, like you mentioned before, the timing of that fuel. And you had mentioned, you know, every 30 minutes, I would, I would modify that a little and say, you know, somebody is, someone who likes to take half their nutrition after 20 minutes and another after another 15, 20 minutes, that's okay too. I know, you know, or what we used to do is we'd take out a package of honey stinger chews and take one at a time over the course of a few, you know, 20 minutes, if that's, that's okay too. But your point really is that you need that steady fueling. And most importantly, which I learned in Boston last time, last year was don't skip that last fuel, that last nutrition. So you may be taking every 30 minutes. And if you're a a four hour marathon or a three forty five marathon, you get to three thirty and think, okay, I'm done. Like I don't need my last fuel. You still need that 
fuel to get you through that last that last part. So those are all um, things that you can control. Again, is how are you going to carry your fuel? How are you going to access it? How are you going to you know, get it into your body? And how often are you going to take it? And those are all things that you can control along the course. Yeah, those are great points, Lisa. And um, I also want to mention, we've talked about this before with so many of our wonderful registered dietitians, and that is you can use two different sources of fuel to mix up taste and texture. So maybe bring some gels and then bring some chews. So you, you already mentioned, we really love honey stinger chews and that's a great option. And then also you can have your gels. Um, and we like Morton and, and neither of those companies sponsor our podcast, but we're just sharing from our own experiences, what seems to work best on our stomachs. I will say with honey stingers, sometimes it's a little confusing because their packaging, it's like one and a half servings per package. So you kind of do want to take those out of the package and parse those out and put those in a Ziploc. So it equates to what would be equivalent to one serving of a gel. So take a look at that. I, I believe it's, um, I want to say it's like 16 honey chews is one serving, but I'm not I sure. Think it's 10. I think is it's it 10, 10, but there are 16 in a bag. I think, yes, but you're right. I always have to do that before my races. I'm always calculating. And I usually put one hour's worth in a baggie so that I'm taking out one baggie per hour and holding it in my hand. And as I was, as when I was, even I was using that, but I do want to say, I actually had that written down to mention, um, uh, flavor fatigue that happens in long races. You get toward the end of the race and you're like, I cannot take another goo. I cannot take. So having that option. And we actually have a runner who um, just did um, Susan Spencer, who just did um, London. And, you know, at the end of her marathon, she's been having like nausea and we haven't been able to figure out why she's having this nausea. And she went to Nancy Clark, who we've had on our podcast before. And Nancy told her that nausea usually means you're not getting in enough fuel. And that can be related to getting sick of your fuel toward the end and just not, you know, not wanting to take it and, and flavor fatigue. So she actually recommended that Susan try mixing it up, even whole foods. And we love Nancy because Nancy was the one who told us to bring Snickers, little mini Snickers bars on our runs and those or Milky Ways or whatever it was, little candy bars. So she had told her, you know, bring um, peanut butter pretzels, which also have a little bit of salt on them to have like at some point in the race. So your your point is is exactly spot on is that, you know, think about, how often you're going to be taking this, how much of this nutrition you're going to be taking. And, and you may hit some flavor fatigue or some point where you're just like, and, and we had runners tell us this, you know, just in our last couple from Chicago and from some of our past races, they said, by that last one, I just couldn't even stomach taking another gel or another Morton or whatever it was. Like if you have something a little bit different and you mix it up, um, that is a way to avoid that. So again, something you would practice with, I wouldn't throw that in the mix now and just say, okay, that's what I'm going to do during my race but mixing it up and, and avoiding that flavor fatigue. So again, something you can control is what do you have? What options do you have on you? Um, you know, do you, if you've only got your ones and related to that is, um, you know, look, and we've talked about this before, but look and see what's going to be offered on the course. Um, because if you decide you want to take, if you lose something, you drop something, you, you, you're kind of in a desperate situation where you need to get some extra fuel, like what's on the course. Have you used it before? Are you familiar with it? Um, and, and make sure that that's, uh, that's an option for you. You just reminded me of something when you said drop something, this seems to happen to runners a lot. I, I know I see it whenever I run a race and that is a runner will reach in to get fuel and inadvertently drop a random object, like their, their key or, um, their headphones that they were going to save for later. So also when planning back to our point about planning, where you're going to place your fuel, fuel and store it on your body before taking it, make sure that you're not placing any fuel or any with anything of value that if you dropped it, it would cause you to have to stop backtrack and pick it up. That's, that's a rookie mistake, but it happens a lot, even in the most seasoned runners, kind of like untied shoes, rookie mistake, but still seems to happen sometimes. So, um, yeah, I feel like we've covered fuel, but fuel is don't feel bad if you're listening to this and you're like, gosh, I still am not sure what to do. We, we get it. We understand. Um, we encourage those who are feeling a little bit uncertain about your fueling plan. If you have some time, um, go back and listen to our many episodes with expert registered dietitians. What we love is that our registered dietitians don't all know each other at all, but they all echo what we've been saying and, and what has worked for us and so many of our runners. And again, that is fueling every 30 to 35 minutes. Um, making sure you start early. Um, it's okay if, if you want to take your first fuel right in the starting crowd and then starting at 
30 minutes. Um, that's fine. And I will, I will say anecdotally too, that I've started doing that. I think I mentioned this before. I've started taking a Morton about 10 minutes before my races, even the 5k that I did recently, I just was like, why not? Let me try it. And I, it's, it's either mental or placebo effect or it's real, but it has absolutely helped me keep a steady, um, you know, steady energy, um, throughout a race. So I, I think I I'm a convert to taking something while you're standing in the crowd. Yeah, it can't hurt. And, you know, we don't think about this, but we are burning a lot of energy just to get to the start. I mean, we're it, the adrenaline, the walking, the, there, there's a lot going on. So I wouldn't, I, I think it makes perfect sense. I know for me, especially races like Boston and New York, you kind of feel depleted even by the time you get to the start line, even though you've had a multiple breakfasts and, and you're ready to go and you're excited, it does take a lot out of you. So it certainly makes sense that having that extra boost right in the starting crowd about 10 minutes before the start is a good idea. Um, so yeah, so I think we've covered nutrition, but again, we encourage listeners to go back and re-listen to any of our episodes with our registered dietitians. Um, they all have great guidance and will at least provide you with some comfort and knowing that what you're doing will certainly serve you well on race day. And if you haven't yet practiced while running at race pace with nutrition, should be doing this already, but if not, it's not too late, especially if your race is in about a month, um, to go ahead and practice that. So you can make sure that your body likes the nutrition that you plan to use on race day. And you may want to practice, um, uh, hydrating too. Uh, just was actually telling one of our runners who, um, runs in Israel, she's in Israel and all their races there use water bottles when they, you know, take water on the course, she's going to run New York where she knows there are paper cups and she's going to practice this weekend, taking a paper cup and squeezing it and drinking it out of the side of the mouth. So, and we had runners who went to do London and Berlin where they were handing, I think, well, Berlin was handing out water bottles. And so, you know, they kind of threw some of them off, you know, we talked about it beforehand, but, uh, or they have plastic cups where they're not used to. So what kind of, you know, what's going to be offered on your course and maybe practice if you can with, you know, quickly grab a paper cup and squeeze that, get it into your, um, get it into your mouth. And, you know, you mentioned briefly uh, being at the start line and feeling depleted. And one thing I'll touch on, uh, in addition with regards to nutrition is fueling well the morning of the race. So before the race, and that's something else that you can control. What is, what's your breakfast going to be? Um, you know, it should be something you you've practiced. It's something that you you're used to. It should be something that has pretty high carb content. We like, uh, you know, single serve oatmeal, um, but it could be oatmeal. It could be banana bagel. It could be, you know, whatever it is that, that has worked for you. Um, and uh, making sure that you're fueling before you get to the race uh, appropriately, um, enough time in advance and um, with the right with the right fuel. I think that's it on fueling. And um, if anyone has any specific questions, feel free to reach out to us, and perhaps we can we can help with those. Um, but hopefully, at this point, the biggest thing we would say is preparation. With that, you just don't want to be caught off guard on race day. Stomach issues are something often we can't control, but practice helps minimize them. We really, we really believe that. And, and just to, as that reminds me too, uh, um, hydration, if GI issues are often caused by dehydration and not enough hydration to absorb the nutrition that you're taking. And actually I found this really cool chart recently that, um, it, it listed every type of fuel, like goo and hammer gel and all of the different types and how much um, water it takes to absorb them into your system. It was really interesting to see, you know, the differences. Some take a lot more, some take a, take less. Um, but basically, all of those nutritions need need hydration to absorb into your system. So if you're not hydrating well, you may be getting some GI distress. If you feel that GI distress, that's when it's time to think like, do I need to hydrate uh, hydrate more? Yeah. So shifting gears from fueling, we're going to talk a little bit about prepping for a race mentally. And that's something that, you know, everyone is different. Everyone has different stressors. Everyone has different ways to prepare for a race, but these are our tips based on our experience as coaches and runners that we feel really can help improve a race experience. And again, there's so much we can't control on race day, but one thing we can control is how we respond to the uncontrollables. How do we respond to a shitty weather day? How do we respond if the morning of the race, you wake up and you got your period by surprise, which happens a lot and it's a bummer, but how do we respond to that? How can we control 
um, making sure that that doesn't derail us, how to respond to perhaps uh, not having a great night's sleep the night before the race, which happens all the time. So these are the types of things, in, in our opinion, that help if we can kind of prepare for those moments and, and realize that it happens and not let us derail us on race day can really make a huge difference. So starting out with one mental preparation tip that we have is thinking about your race in chunks rather than an overall experience. So for example, um, we see this a lot, especially with the more crowded races like Chicago and New York, your first couple of miles of that race may not go according to what you had visualized, uh, you know, maybe you've done a lot of race visualization, which we encourage watching race videos and, and, and getting prepared for that race, which we encourage, but then on race day, you suddenly experience un, unpredicted crowds and congestion, and you're trying really hard not to leave, but suddenly you find yourself weaving and, and you can really get into a dark place right away. And, and what we say to that is, when you experience those moments on race day and you will remember that that moment doesn't define your race. That's just a moment in your race and you need to figure out a way. And this, this is planning. It's mental planning. How am I going to get myself out of that space in my head? What are you going to do? So some suggestions. So for example, if you start out your race and you're finding that you are in a corral that is not your pace and you start out a little bit faster than what you had anticipated, and then suddenly you're starting to get anxious about that, instead of letting that anxiety take over, slow your roll. It's not too late to slow down. That's okay. Conversely, if you feel like you can't hit your pace for a while, because you've got people all in your grill and you can't, and you don't want to weave in and out like a hamster. But at the same time, you were looking at your watch and you're like, gosh, I'm not even close to my goal race pace right now. Do not surge. Do not freak out. Do not waste mental and physical energy trying to hit your pace. Relax and know that the crowds will dissipate. And in the meantime, use that time to say to yourself, well, I'm starting out easy and this is really going to serve me well at the end of my race. Remember that every mile you run, if you're off by a few seconds, it's, it makes such, such a small negligible difference in your overall race time. Lisa, you mentioned this last week and I really appreciated this. I mean, if you're off five, 10 seconds per mile for the first, you know, 20 miles of your race, if you're going too fast, then you may end up having to walk and you'll make that up by walking for, you know, a half a mile in your race. Conversely, if you feel like you're running a little bit too slow, guess what? It's going to serve you well at the end of your race. You'll actually be able to put on the gas and run a little faster because you can serve some energy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you had mentioned something I was thinking about, um, any runner running a marathon, even the fastest runners are going to be out there for a long time, be out there three, four, five hours there in that span of time something is going to come up that's going to challenge you mentally at some point during the race. Even if it's one minute of down mentally downtime, if it's five minutes, if it's 10 minutes, a mile, um, there's always going to be some point, even in you know our best races that we've both had, there were moments in those races where we were both probably thinking like, why am I doing this? I, I, I can just slow down now. I, I have so much farther to go. Like I distinctly remember my, my PR races, you know, New York city marathon many, many years ago. And I can distinctly remember, um, you know, thinking at some point, um, I think I must've been like 10 miles in and thinking 16 miles still to go. Like, that's not a good thing. That's not a good way to think when you find yourself thinking that. So, um, what we like to tell our runners to do is to before, even before race day, come up, like you said, with the strategies that are going to get you out of that, that moment, um, that will not let it downward spiral into, um, you know, okay, forget it. This is my day. I'm done. Um, like what's going to turn that around. So we like our runners to practice, you know, thinking about what's, what's your reason you're running, what's your, why, what's your mantra you're going to repeat to yourself. What, you know, how are you going to kind of push those, that, that whatever, whatever it is, that minute, 10 minutes, an, an hour, whatever it might be that challenging part, how are you going to push it out of your mind and not let it, it define, um, the rest of your race. So I think that's an important, um, aspect that you can control is how do you respond to those moments when it's challenging and, and every runner is going to have a challenging moment during a, a long period out there like in a, in a marathon so I think that that is um important and I like to always tell I tell our runners 
I don't even know if you remember these stories, but I'm, I tell our runners many, many years ago, it's probably eight or 10 years ago. Now we had two runners go out to do a um, marathon the same weekend and they both had similar goals and similar um, abilities. Uh, and one went out and she bombed her race and she came back to us and said, yeah, at mile seven, I knew it was going to be a shitty day. And that was it, you know, and, and she had a, she had a shitty day. She had a really, did not finish in a good time. She was way off of her time, but she told us, yeah, at mile seven, I just knew it was going to be a shitty day. And that was, I just basically made up her mind. Then the other runner went out and she was on a similar, you know, same similar pacing plan. And at a mile, mile 16 realized she wasn't going to hit her. Um, she had a goal of qualifying for Boston and at mile about mile 16 realized that she was off of that goal. Um, and at first she thought, well, forget it. Why am I even trying? And she said that took her about five minutes to say, no, I worked hard, too hard for this. All of my training, I worked too hard. And she said she got angry. At that point, she got angry and she turned it around and she didn't BQ that race. She did eventually. She didn't BQ that race, but she PR and she ended up having a really good experience. And she really felt proud of herself. And it was that I remember, I distinctly remember that weekend of, of talking to those two runners and saying, wow, that's the difference of like that mental approach. If you decide your race is done and over because of one bad mile that you had, or one, you know, 10 minutes of really struggling that you had, if you decide your race is over, it's over. Like where your mind goes, your body follows. If you figure out beforehand what you're going to do in that moment of, okay, it's not going as planned. I'm not going to finish in my goal time. Like if you can figure out what you're going to do beforehand um, and, and then execute that, then you can really, you can salvage. We talked about this last time. I think, you know, you're, you can have a success in a race if you don't hit that, whatever your A goal was, or, you know, that, that top goal that you had, you can have the success in saying, um, I turned it around. I, you know, executed uh, my nutrition perfectly. I controlled everything I could, you know, after I realized I wasn't on on pace for that. I still finished with a, you know, within a couple of minutes of my PR, whatever it is, you can still salvage um, some, you know, something to be proud of at the end. Um, so if you're not on pace for your, for that goal time that you thought you had, you know, really mentally um, accepting that and, and making the best of it is, uh, you know, is something that you can control. Yeah, I really like that and appreciate that story. And I think it's also important to reiterate and talk about this a lot on this podcast. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having a goal time and, 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 and wanting a certain time. Certainly that's, you know, we're out there doing this to challenge ourselves. We have a goal in mind. It's, it's great to have time goals, but at the same time, nobody cares about your time, but you, and when your time start defining who you are as a runner, then it takes the fun away of why we're doing this at the end of the day, this is our hobby. It's our passion. And we're not just out there to cross the finish line and look at a clock that tells us our time. That's not our value. That's not our worth. It's what we're doing. It's the process. It's the journey. And especially as runners age, I mean, it's, it's a fact you're not always going to be able to PR. So in order to stay, um, motivated in this sport, there has to be other goals besides time and back to controlling the controllables when the temperature is 20, 30 degrees higher than what you've trained in, especially when you're running a spring race and you trained all winter, it's nearly impossible to hit that time goal that maybe you set out to train for all winter long. And to allow that time goal to define your race and more importantly, you it's, it's sad because there's life's too short and it's important. We enjoy the things we're doing and this is supposed to be fun. Certainly we have horrible training runs, but those make great stories, but more times than not, we have great training runs. And if we didn't, we wouldn't be doing this as long as we have. And to that end, the reason we race is not just about times. It's about community. It's about the experience. It's about challenging our bodies from a place of curiosity and seeing what we can do on that day. And when we cross that finish line, friends and family who are tracking you aren't looking at you and saying, what a disappointment she is, man. They're saying, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Or if they know you well, oh, I know that person didn't hit their time goal, but I'm super proud of what they did out there. It looks like they worked really hard. And that's how we feel about our runners too. When we track our runners on race day, we're not looking at our runners like, oh, they're not hitting their goal. We're saying more often than not, because it's life, okay, it looks like they're having a tough day, but I love that they're sticking with it. Or I love how this person is turning it around or, wow, it looks like it was a really tough day, 
but they finished so strong, but they finished. Those, those are the conversations you and I have, Lisa, and those are the conversations we guarantee for those of you going out there to race that your friends and family are having about you, no matter what they're proud of you. And no matter what, you should be proud of you regardless of your time, because that time doesn't define you. And if I could just add one more point, I think social media is a wonderful thing. It's created so much community and running that never existed before. I mean, when we started doing this thing, social media didn't exist. And now it seems like people who've never met before form running communities that are just as personal and just as intimate as actual physical running communities, which is a beautiful thing. And then having the opportunity to meet up with those people on race day that you've never met before. I mean, we have that with our podcast. We, we love it so much and it's provided us so much joy, but along the same lines, social media can also be very detrimental. And that is because sometimes it causes us to set expectations for ourselves that we think others have for us, which again, isn't the case at all. It's just we're all doing the same thing because we enjoy it. And whether we finish a race faster than someone else or slower, that doesn't make us more or less worthy of, of celebrating that accomplishment. And so for folks out there who feel like any pressure whatsoever, because, oh, people expect this of me or people are watching me, that's, that's you. So control that controllable, get out of your head, get out there do the best you can. And remember that this process is, is an, it's a joy and you doing this thing outside of all the other things you do in your life is the accomplishment. It's not the time that the clock says when you cross the finish line, end of rant. No, that's a good, because I was just going to add one more little rant and my controllable would be get the F off social media. Like, honestly, like I, I've just seen it so much. I've seen it with people who feel like they have to get on social media after and explain why they had a bad race. Like you don't owe anybody an explanation. You don't need to, you know, there's also a buildup. If you're posting on social media the whole time, here's my training. Here's what I'm doing. This is, you know, there's that buildup. So like, just I, you know, I'm just not, I don't know. I, I think I'm just not a fan of social media and the pressures that it seems to put on. So that's something you can control. Disconnect, <laughs> get off social media, disconnect for your mental health, go run this race for yourself. You know, that's, that's, that's the, you're the only person who really, it really impacts and who's really going to care about it. Um, run the race for yourself. So, um, you know, you touched a little bit on, um, on, uh, you know, on pacing and going out and getting carried out too fast. And that's something else that we wanted to talk about. And that's something that is really in your control is race execution. And like you mentioned, if the day is hot or the weather doesn't cooperate, that's something you may have to tweak, but you can control that. You can control what is your plan and how do you execute it? And so for the first part of that is what is your plan? So having a plan, going into it, knowing what is a reasonable expectation of your finish time. If you have a tune-up race, you can use that to extrapolate. If you have, you know, you should have some, um, though, uh, reasonable way to gauge. Um, going into a race saying, I want to be Q, when you don't even know if that's possible, it, that's maybe not the best plan because you may end up starting out too fast. Like you should have some benchmark uh, along the way, some in your training. Hopefully by this point, you have that. It's a race, it's a time trial, it's a past race. It's something that, you know, you can use as your baseline and use that to set your pacing strategy and your pacing strategy. No, I don't think any winner of any marathon has ever, well, I won't say ever, but the majority of winners of marathons, negative split. We have, do not see many very positive splits or some going to be positive splits, but, but we've never, no runner has ever come back and said, you know, I went out too slow, at least to us. We've never heard that. We've heard many, I went out too fast. So when putting together your pacing plan, really, um, you know, really take that into account. You can go online. We will like findmymarathon.com. There is a way to um, uh, customize a, a pace band. You can customize your pacing plan or your pace band, even by courses for some of the major courses. And you can actually choose the parameters. You can choose conservative start and negative split or conservative start and positive split if you think you're going to die, you know, peter out a little bit. But we we always recommend that conservative start. And it's really hard to do because when you're at the start line of a marathon and the adrenaline is pumping and a race day is here and um, you know some races start with you know a little bit of a downhill, whatever it might be. If you're starting in a corral that's a little faster maybe and people get carried away and um, they, you know, you end up starting out 
20, 30 seconds faster per mile than your planned pace, that is too fast. You really need to start out five to 10 seconds slower than your goal pace, at least. Um, and if it's a little more than that, that's okay. Like you were just talking about, if you go 30 seconds per mile slower than your goal finish time, your goal finish pace for four miles, that is two minutes. You then have 22 miles to break down, break that down, you know, to, to earn that back a little bit. So that's 22 miles to get 120 seconds back, do the math, you know, then you can just hit your goal pace minus a couple seconds, you'll eventually get that back. So even if you go out and 30 seconds per mile slower than your goal pace usually doesn't happen, but you just can you know, comfort yourself that if you go out a little too slow, it's okay. It's going to, um, you're, you're going to earn that back because you're going to be smart about your race and you're going to be able to do that. So that is, um, you know, that's something that we really, that's controllable. That is something absolutely controllable. I will add, we have had a lot of runners who had trained to a goal pace and had that, that, uh, tune-up race, but then, um, they got COVID and we've talked about this a lot during this training cycle and our last training cycle. Um, a lot of folks around the country, we coach runners all over the country. And a lot of folks during this past training cycle have had COVID. And when that happens, um, after getting back to training, sometimes that can cause one to need to adjust their goals. Everyone responds differently to COVID. Um, but we've had quite a few runners who just don't feel the same right away. And, and certainly I'm one of those. And so it may not be realistic to use that tune-up race that you ran before you had COVID. And so what we would advise for folks that are saying themselves, well, I'm not sure what to do because I know what my tune-up race is. And when I extrapolate that, I know what my goal pace should be, but I've been sick. I've had the flu. I've had a cold. I'm better now, but I'm not sure. We would advise that you race by feel. And what we mean by that is start out your race um, and say you should be working hard, but not so hard that you can't have a conversation. And then if you feel really good, pick it up a little bit after the first 5k to a pace that is commensurate to how you would feel if you were running your goal race pace. Um, it may not be the same pace because again, we're saying go by feel. And we have found that so many of our runners actually benefit from the strategy, whether you had an anomalous situation before your goal race or not, just not having the pressure of sticking to a certain pace, but instead listening to your body as you run and saying, how am I feeling right now? And we know this is how many professional runners run. They don't stare at their watch at all. They have pacers, of course, but often their pacers are sort of leaning into how they feel. So ideally at this point in your training, you know what it feels like to run marathon pace. And instead of being sort of wedded to what your watch says, go by feel, see how that works. It is a little scary, but we, we guarantee that it will create a very pleasant race experience. If you can lean into that. And Lisa, I know you do that a lot. When you race, you race by feel. And, um, I know I do as well. And it's, it's partially because it's unrealistic. We're not metrodomes to, to stare at your watch and, and get a certain time. And, and we're not pacers. The only time I really do that is when I'm, I'm pacing a race, like the parks half marathon, I've been a pacer for many years and I'll use my watch for that. But realistically I go by feel, cause I practiced a pace and I know what that feels like. And on race day, ideally I will feel the same way I did in practice in terms of effort level. Yeah. The only exception I would say to that is that the beginning of the race can feel easy and, but you're going too fast and got it. Too many people say, well, but it feels easy. I feel good. So I, I'm going to just stick with it, but you're, you're, it may mentally feel easy because the adrenaline and um, your mindset at that point, but physically your muscles and your glycogen, your body, your body's glycogen aren't prepared to run uh, that fast for 26.2 miles. So, um, you know, certainly, uh, I think keeping an eye on, on that, especially at the beginning of the race. And you had mentioned, you know, we're not metronomes and looking at your watch. When we give pacing plans to our runners, we like to break it down into chunks of two or three miles so that you're not hyper-focused on that moment, that very moment, like what is my exact pace? If you get to mile two and you're supposed to be at mile two about 15 minutes and you get there at 14 minutes, you know, like, ah, I went out a little bit fast. I could breathe and relax for the next two mile check. Is it 30 minutes? Now I have a little extra time to get there. I can ease up a little, you get to the next check at, you know, four miles and you see you're at 29, 
48 and you're like, okay, I'm closer to that 30 minutes. I'm, 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 I'm more on track. Um, so we like to do it more in chunks than in um, constantly checking, checking your watch. So that's, you know, something else. Um, something else you can control in terms of your race execution um, is effort on hills. So, uh, you know, I've seen this so many times in races with hills where I see it's usually guys, not just not I know. Guys, <laughs> usually guys, and they come up and they're like pumping up the hill next to me and just charging up the hill and they go by me. And I think I'm going to see them in like five minutes, not even five minutes. Sure enough, get to the top of the hill. And, um, you know, I can get back into a good rhythm because I haven't wasted my energy. I'm not anaerobic. I haven't spiked, you know, I haven't like exhausted myself and depleted my glycogen stores. And I get back into it and about five minutes later, I'm like, hey, how'd that go for you? Not so great, huh? So even effort on the hills. And that's something you can take into account when putting your pacing plan together, but it's going to slow you down a little bit, but that's okay because again, even effort. Um, and, and once you get to the top of the hill, once you're taking the downhills, you'll have saved your, conserved your energy and you will not be anaerobic. You will be still in your aerobic zone and you'll be able to pick it back up again. You won't be exhausted. Um, so that's something um, that to control too. It's hard to do that, especially when the people around you are all kind of charging up the hill and you're feeling like, oh no, I'm getting, it takes a lot of uh, patience. Just like it says at the start of the race with people you know, heading out really fast, it takes um, confidence and patience. Yeah. And similarly, another controllable is when you have people there, a lot of these bigger races, especially in the fall, there's a lot of people who aren't necessarily paying attention to where they are spatially, especially late in the race. And you might tend to have somebody right in your, in your personal space inadvertently, or perhaps there's someone who's, who's sort of using you, um, you know, as, as a, a pace, a pacer. And, when that happens, if that starts to irritate you, or you feel like that's causing you to not be able to maintain your pace, uh, don't panic. Don't surge. Surging takes up extra energy. Instead, just slowly veer away from from that cluster because you you really want to stick to your plan and not have others around you influencing you. And to that end, when using a pacer, and we've talked about this a lot, really be careful with that. We're we're we understand there's some really great pacers out there and, and a lot of the race directors we've interviewed, I've mentioned that, and we don't doubt their ability for a second, but if you decide to use a pacer, make sure that it's, a, it's, it's one of your resources, use your internal pacer, use your watch. And also you can use a pacer on the race as a guide, but don't use that person only because it, their race strategy will likely not be the same as your race strategy. And that can really stump you up and, um, also make sure you run the tangents. Well, um, that's a legal, wonderful way to be able to avoid running, you know, 27.6 miles or something ridiculous like that. We've never seen that by the way, I'm exaggerating, but you know, but we did have runners <laughs> who did Chicago who had to be, you talked about leaving, who yeah. had to leave around people and ended up doing, um, almost a half mile extra. So at 26 points, almost six, they were yeah. at so 26.66, I think was their, you know, total. So, you know, another 0.46 miles after they should have done, which really added. And um, our runner who did that said that her, her watch told her her marathon time was like, you know, three minutes shorter than her actual time finish time, because her watch said she hit the marathon way before the, you know, she hit the, hit the finish line. So that's, that is absolutely something you can control. And if you don't understand tangents, there are lots of articles out there that kind of show, illustrate um, basically shortest point between shortest distance between two points is a straight line. If you've got use of the whole road, why are you following the curve or, you know, the, why are you following the shoulder all the way around cut straight to the next curve in the road? Um, you're taking the inside of, of corners when you come around a corner, um, but really minimizing uh, in some of the big races, Chicago, I think New York, um, you know, have, has a, a blue dotted line for at least part of the course that will show you show you the tangent, but um, study up on tangents. And that, like you said, you can control that to some extent. Some of the bigger races, it's really hard to follow the tangent at the beginning of the race when you're in a huge crowd and you can't control where you're going. But as soon as you get a little bit in the clear, um, following those tangents is, is really definitely something you can control. Yeah. So before we talk about post-race, Lisa, do you have any tips for runners between miles 23 and 26.2 of a race. Cause I, I have ideas, but I want to hear yours because I just feel like for everyone, that's just a really tough, tough 
part of a race. So what are I do, and you know, it's interesting. I just had a conversation with one of our runners, um, Kirsty Davis, who's uh, running the Youngstown Marathon this weekend, her first post baby marathon. Yay. Really excited about. And um, I told her this, and I've told some other runners this too. And it sounds corny and cheesy, but it's something that worked for me at the Marine Corps 50K because I knew there were going to be extra miles at the end of that that aren't in a marathon that I was going to struggle mentally. So for me, it was probably you know like miles. 28 to 31 or something, whatever it was, but it was the same concept with that, that end of the marathon. Um, before the uh, race came up, I thought in my head of, I think it was four or five different people who inspired me and like who, um, uh, who, who just inspired me and would inspire me when I was running. And when I got to that mile, like whatever it was, five miles out, I started going through them in my head and pretending they were running the race with me and what they would be saying to encourage me. So I think of like my daughter, Kira, like, what would she say? She's like, go mommy, you're strong. You can do, you know, like whatever it was in my head, these silly conversations that I was having, you know, Alex would say, suck it up. You can do it. Like you know, the <laughs> things he tells himself when he races, you can, you know, uh, I, I, whatever it was in my head. And I switched from person to person in each mile. So I'd look forward to the next mile of, okay, okay. Now what if this person was running, what would they be telling me? And it was like a silly, it sounds silly to me. And it even still sounds silly to talk about it. No, but that was my mental strategy. And it got me through those miles. So maybe you think about whatever it might be, the people that inspire you, but, but the, your point is really important. And I want to hear what, what you would do, but it's to plan ahead of time. What are you going to do? You don't get to mile 23 and you're like, Oh crap, what do I think about now? And no, I'm just dying. I'm like, it's the end of the race. It's so hard. Like have your plan in place of what's going to what work for you. So tell me, tell me what your, uh, what your strategy is or what you found that helps. My strategy is first to think about my fueling and make sure that I take fueling because that is a superpower. You're, if you're able to stay on top of that. And as you mentioned earlier and get that in late in the race, that will only help you. And I like to break the last few miles into, um, eight hundreds on the track. So I think about, instead of thinking, oh, I have three miles to go. I just think, okay, I've got a track workout to go and I've got six, eight hundreds. So that helps me a lot. And it also allows me to kind of modulate my pace if necessary. I mean, let's face it, by the end of a marathon, it's really hard to maintain the exact goal race pace. So I try to give myself a opportunity to go up, go to my goal race pace and then, you know, slow a little bit, go back up, slow a little bit. And, and that allows me mentally to not get down about myself because it's only an 800. So that's what I, I love that. Do. Yeah, that's a great, I like that. I've done that before in races where, um, you know, I will, um, give myself permission to ease up to like the next mile marker and then get back on my game. So like the same, same type of thing. I'll say, you know, it, okay. You can like, uh, you know, I was talking to um, Christy about this too, this week, marathons are mentally draining. You're constantly yeah. thinking, what's my pace? How much time do I have left? What mile am I at? What nutrition am I drinking? Have I, am I taking, have I had my, my hydration? When's the water station? I mean, you're constantly thinking. And in a big race, you're constantly like, you could be constantly dodging around people. And, and like you said, crowds and trying to, you know, get your personal space back and it's mentally exhausting. So I've found it helpful in some of the races I've done to say, okay, I'm tuning out for the next, until I hit the next water station or until I hit the next mile marker or for the next five minutes on my, whatever it is where I'm just like, not going to think about this. And then once I hit that, whatever, you know, that next water station, I'm back on my game. So I think that's important to, to give yourself permission to take those little breaks or ch chunk things down into smaller chunks. I think that's a great, um, a great strategy. And I know in the past, you've also relied on music in the last part of the race, which I think is totally fine you know, to bring headphones and pop them in. Um, you know, when you need that little extra pump me up music is a performance enhancer. So I think that's fine. I think that you do have to be prepared for what if like your phone stopped working or what if your earphones aren't working or what if you drop them when you pull out your nutrition at some point and not rely so much. Um, you know, I had a runner once who um, relied on calling people during the race. She actually had her phone with her and she would say like, I need to call uh, my husband and talk to him. I need to call my friend and talk to them. Um, that's great. And that's fine if that works for you. But what if your phone's not working or what if you can't call them? Like make sure you are able to be self-sufficient and you have that backup plan. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if I execution wise recommend that, but I think that's creative and, and I, I commend that runner for, for <laughs> engaging family and friends and making everyone part of the experience. I, I do love that about it. So yeah, like I had the conversations in my head. She actually yeah. had them on her phone. Like yeah, she actually called her children. Tell me, encourage me, please. So I love you know, it. Like, again, it has to be like, but, but that was planned. So again, know what you're going to do. Um, yeah. That's, that's important. Yeah. So let's, let's wrap it up with, um, post-race because that's, you know, that's, 
the race does not, the race ends, but your, your, you know, your plan does not end and um, your control of, of what happens after the race does not end when you cross the finish line. And, um, you know, uh, the first thing is whatever your time is when you cross that finish line, um, you can control how you, how you see that and your attitude towards it. You can finish and say, that sucked. I didn't hit my time and be really disappointed and really then um, discount or um, ignore all of the work that you put into it. You know, really the, the accomplishment was the months and months and months that you trained. And if you're going to let one, you know, one day, three hours, four hours, five hours, whatever it is, then define how you feel about that effort. That's, you know, that it's, again, it's, it's in your control to say, okay, wasn't my goal time, but I, you know, stuck, held in strong, but I ran that last mile really hard, even though I was like dying and I didn't want to finish. You know, I finished the race when I wanted to drop out, you know, it, really figuring out how you're going to um, mentally um, uh, approach your time, whatever that is, because that's going to, that's going to define how you walk away from that race and how you feel moving forward into your next races and into your next training cycle. So um, that's certainly something uh, you can control. Yeah. And we have talked about this um, quite a bit on our podcast, but it's worth reiterating. If you are disappointed, how to manage that. And um, no matter what the outcome is, as we mentioned earlier in this episode, you, you freaking did a marathon and that's amazing. And even if it wasn't the race you anticipated, those miles are cumulative and those miles will serve you well in future training cycles. And to that end, the worst thing that one can do is to run another marathon too soon. And there are exceptions. I mean, we've had plenty of runners who run a couple of marathons in the same cycle and we plan for that, but to just sign up for another marathon a few weeks later without some planning, it, it may seem like a good idea because you already have the training under your belt, but cumulatively it can cause a lot of, a lot of depletion in your body and perhaps affect your next training cycle. So think carefully about that, but most importantly, and this is especially for our master's runners, recovery is so important and rest and recovery will allow you to absorb all of the gains that you made in your training cycle without the post-marathon rest and recovery you won't be able to absorb those gains. And those gains are what allows you to, to take advantage of the mileage from previous training cycles and build on that for future training cycles. And that is the truth, regardless of age and experience. So remember after a marathon, when you see other training partners and friends running, you know, a week later, a, a 14 miler, that that's not the wisest decision. And instead think about how can I maximize my rest to, that I can have growth from this cycle? Because we know that stress plus rest and recovery equals growth. And you want growth, mental growth and physical growth from your previous training cycle. And most importantly, you don't want injury. So take the time you need. It is individual. Um, not all of us are like Michael Wardian, where we can bounce back from race to race, but no one ever says, oh, I wish I didn't rest and recover so much after my marathon. I mean, I love that so many professional runners put their rest and recovery out there. I mean, we see after Des Linden runs a marathon, she takes 30 days off. She takes a whole month off from running and she talks about it and says, yeah, the first few days back are painful, but she gets her fitness back. And we're not saying you need to take 30 days off, but certainly when we write schedules for our runners after a marathon, there is not much running going on the month after the marathon. There's a lot of cross training, a lot of walking, a lot of mobility work, a lot of resting. And even we, when we write those schedules, we say to our runners, you know, your body best don't rush back into a run just because it's on your schedule. We're putting this together for you, but you know, your body best. So you are not doing it wrong. If you take ample time off to rest and recover. And if you are anxious to get back out there, especially if this is your social outlet, make sure you are running your runs super easy. Or volunteer, go set up a water station for your friends that are doing their run or go meet them at the finish and, you know, help out volunteer at a race. I always think it's fun to, you know, volunteer at a race after your goal race. So I think that is, um, you know, that's a good way to get back out there without putting strain on your body. 
For sure. So I think that wraps up our coaching episode on controlling the controllables on a race day. Lisa, I always love doing these with you. I mean, it's, it's always so fun to just kind of talk about all this and, and get psyched. And I'm excited for you to run Indie Monumental next month. I know you're going to crush it. And um, I know our runners are going to crush their races over the next few weeks. Certainly they're prepared and I'm excited to see what they do out there on the race courses and to hear their feedback on their respective races. So for all you listening out there, thanks for sticking with us this long if you have. And as always, if you have any questions, you can email us at julianlisa@runfatherandfaster.com. Follow us on Instagram at runfatherandfaster and on Facebook and uh, feel free to send us a message and we're happy to respond to your questions. Great. Have a great week, Julie. Thanks Lisa, you too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.